right, this time we're happy to have Brother Sam Williams with us once again from Northwest Haiti Christian Mission. Those who are in Sunday school have already heard from him. The rest of you uh, live for a treat. So he's going to come. He's going to share a little video with us and just talk to us about Haiti. So thank you, Brother. It's good to be here today, and before I get started with the message, I would like to show you a video. Um, I know that a lot of you uh, had mentioned, or Bill had said a lot of you had mentioned or had questions about the post-earthquake cleanup. It's been over two years ago. It's hard to believe it's been that long. Um, you know, if it was any other country in the world or a lot of other countries, there probably would have been a lot more done as far as cleanup has happened. But there has been a lot of activity in Haiti since that time because of all of the attention and the focus. And there are some things that improve, uh, but there are others that, that still are just not that great. But what we wanted to put together is a short video that just gives a, a real simple thank you to everyone who gave towards that. So if you personally gave towards the, the earthquake relief and cleanup effort two years ago that really is even still continuing, um, this is most certainly for you. Quite a, quite a moving set of pictures and images and thoughts there. And, of course, it is two years since then. Um, but, you know, really the, the cleanup and the, the recovery still goes on. And on a beautiful morning like this here in Randolph, Ohio, where you have snow flickering down and kind of looks like a little bit of it fell inside here. <laughs> I love the, love the view back there preaching in front of a, a snowy forest. Uh, it's hard for us to relate to that sometimes. And quite honestly, whenever I take a trip into Haiti, and, and I do, one thing I love about my job is I do like to travel. You know, it has its drawbacks. I, you know, sometimes have weekends away from my wife and daughter, but sometimes they come with me, so that uh, that works out well too. But I do get to travel to Haiti quite a bit, usually three, four, five times a year, um, two week trips. Although this past summer, my wife and daughter and I were there for two months which is, was a lot of fun. We haven't done that for several years. Um, but I do get to travel all over the northwest zone of Haiti and uh, engage in finding new communities that we want to be part of and seeing what areas might need a church plant. So I do like that part of it. I went into Haiti this past January, and as always happens, it, it serves as a bit of a reset button for me. And I, I just, I'm always intrigued by the way that we can... We can easily become used to what is normal here in the United States. And as, as Bill mentioned, we were talking about this, that this just isn't normal. <laughs> this is what's not normal. What's going on in Haiti is more representative of what the rest of the world deals with. Maybe not quite that extreme in a lot of places, but that's more normal than what this is. And we as Americans, we need to think through those things. And if sometimes we need a reset button hit for ourselves, it's good to have that. Uh, this recent trip that I took in, uh, I, uh, I got to experience visiting some villages that quite frankly, you know, Haiti, if you go in for the first time, it will assault your sense of culture because it's so different than what you're used to here. I visited some villages two months ago that assaulted my sense of time. I felt like I'd traveled about a thousand years into the past. These villages that you really can only get to by a boat we took this uh, motorboat that should have had, a, I think, a 30-horsepower engine, but it wound up being like a 15-horsepower engine. So an hour-long trip took three hours, and we're just tootling around the coastline, visiting these villages that you could only get there by boat. And they're made out of huts, 
or the, the huts are made out of, of, of just trees and sticks and stuff that's around. And it's just crazy the way these people live. And, and even for me, I've been going to Haiti for almost 20 years now. And even for me, it was like, oh my gosh, I just, this is normal for people. And I can't imagine this being normal for anybody. And, you know, we need to look at the world around us and ask ourselves, what are we doing to impact the normal of other people? And I'm not talking about economics or how comfortable we are in this case. I'm talking about the spiritual normal, the emotional normal, what's common in their lives. Are they constantly dealing with stress and anxiety that there's really nothing to have as any kind of a sedative for emotionally? Because they don't know who Jesus Christ is? Do we as Christians care about the people around us, either next door or across the water in another place like Haiti? Do we really care about what those people deal with and go through day after day, especially the ones that don't know who Jesus Christ is? The Apostle Peter addresses this issue in his letter to people of his day that were just kind of scattered around. And we find it in uh, the, the, the letter that we call 1 Peter. If you want to go ahead and turn there, I'm going to look at chapter 3, 1 Peter chapter 3. But this letter that he writes, it addresses some of these issues of you know needing to be aware of what's around us. And Peter talks about in the first couple chapters how we're just pilgrims, we're just people passing through this life And there really isn't anything here that we need to get so locked in on and used to that we're not willing to give it up on a whim because, quite frankly, it doesn't mean anything. What means something are all of the people around us that are watching how we live in this world and how we should be living differently because they should be asking the question, what's different about you and can I get me some of that? That's what they should be seeing when they look at our lives. And uh, Peter addresses these things. Uh, He says in 1 Peter 3, 15 and 16, those two verses there, he says, Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. With meekness and with fear, having a good conscience, that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. Well, this trip that I took in in January, um, like I mentioned, I got to travel to some of these different fishing villages and, and see some different things. And there are all these obstacles to get to people. <laughs> to get anywhere in Haiti, it's difficult. The roads are no good. Um, there are runways in only larger towns. And even at that, most of them are just dirt strips. You have to have the right kind of plane to land on. Uh, those runways. So nothing's easy to get anywhere. But there are some obstacles that are are particularly daunting. And one river that I had to cross, getting back to our main campus um, from the far western campuses out where I was visiting those fishing villages, there's this one river. It's pretty much the biggest river in the northwest zone of Haiti, right up against the biggest town in Haiti, or northwest Haiti, called Port-au-Pay. Instead of Port-au-Prince, you have Port-au-Pay in the north. Well, this river, at its normal stage, you could walk across it. People do it all the time. And usually, if you've got a vehicle, you can drive across it just fine. Or if you have like a motorbike, you can rent a boat to take you across that. No big deal. But when you get bad rainstorms up in the mountains and you get floods come down, people die trying to cross this river. And people die because they can't cross the river. 
to get to something maybe they need on the other side, like if they're sick and they need medical attention. That's one thing about diseases like cholera and uh, you know malaria and all these different illnesses. I mean, they can make you so sick that without immediate medical attention, you're not going to survive. And so this river would serve as a barrier that would cause people to die because they can't get across it. Where they're building a bridge. The day that I went across it, it wasn't too bad. It's a little bit high, but our truck was able to make it. But they're building a bridge. And to my knowledge, you know, Haiti, this island, I mean, this is the first place that Columbus landed. Hispaniola, either Haiti or the Dominican. They all argue about where exactly he landed. But that's the first place that we got to on this side of the world, if you kind of consider yourself of, of European descent. There's a lot of history here. This river probably has, being, uh, has been being crossed for 400 years. And it may be the first time a bridge has ever been there. And it's almost done. And I just couldn't help myself but thinking, uh, watching this bridge, and you can walk across it now, it's at least done enough to do that. How many lives that bridge is going to save? And how we as Christians, we need to be willing to be that bridge to people who are lost. Actually, it's more accurate to say the bridge has already been built. But we need to walk across it to find people to bring back to the side that we're on. That's the side that Jesus sits on. He's already built the bridge. He built that with the cross. But we as believers in him and as servants of his, it's our responsibility to take the mandate, cross that bridge, and lead others to who he is. So that's kind of what I want to talk about this morning, kind of an evangelism 101. What is it that we're supposed to be doing with this time that we've been given in this world. And what does 1 Peter chapter 3 specifically have to say about that? We need to be ready every day and in all situations to reach across a bridge and in some cases to build a relationship bridge so that we can bring somebody to Christ. Every ministry that we do is Northwest Haiti Christian Mission. It's all about building bridges to someone's eternal decision. You know, we feed people, we have schools, we have medical clinics, we have orphanages. Those are all just tools. They're tools as a means to an end. And the end is we want that person to be primed and ready to simply be willing to understand who Jesus is and the impact that he wants to have on their lives. That's why we feed. That's why we do medical care. That's why we educate. That's why we do everything. It's all about building relationships that can lead to an eternal decision. And as Christians, we should be looking for those every day, no matter where we are. And Peter talks about this. You know, I, I do okay with Haitian Creole. That's the language that they speak in Haiti. It's, a, it's a kind of a mutt language from French or some English and Spanish and obviously some of the African dialects thrown in there. But in Haitian Creole, if somebody comes up to you and they ask you, sac passe, you're supposed to respond, mat boule. So let's practice that. I ask you, sac passe, and you say back to me, ma boule. Now, what I just did is asked you very simply in slang, how's it going? And you responded, I'm on fire. <laughs> That's a good thing. It's, it's, a, it's a slang term saying you're doing very well. I'm on fire. Ma boule. They'll giggle when you say that because they'll think an American doesn't know anything about how to, you know, how to make that. Or the, sometimes if it's not quite a, as good of a day, they'll say, Nula, which just means we're here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We're here. So I guess that's a, that's a good thing. Sometimes that's all that matters. 
Well, in Creole, really this is from French, there's a term that means your reason for being. In French, it's raison d'etre. Well, it's, it's a little bit different in Creole. They say it's slightly different, but the meaning is still there. And the question is, what is your reason for being? Peter is highlighting your reason for being, your reason for being here, is to spread the, uh, the message of Jesus Christ. It's to make sure He is the sole main focus of your life so that others can see that and see that example. Make certain that Jesus really is your reason for being. And if you kind of look at some of the words that are used here that Peter has, obviously he didn't speak English, there's Greek words behind every English word here, but that word that he uses for sanctify, you know, what, what, what is that? It's kind of a churchy word, sanctify, just simply means make holy, you know, put in a position of prominence. Make sure that your relationship with Jesus is sanctified and allow him to be sanctifying you through the process of your relationship, making you more holy, more clean than you were before, never Never perfect. We don't get that privilege in this life. But we are viewed upon by the Father as perfect because He looks at us through the lens of His Son. But we sanctify that role in our lives. Matthew 6, 9. You know, Jesus talks to His disciples about prayer. He says, pray like this. Our Father in, our Father in heaven, may Your name be kept holy. And we need to make sure as believers in Christ that our relationship with Jesus is in that holy place. You know, during a worship service, and just appreciate the worship we had this morning. I, we were talking earlier. I appreciate all kinds of worship, from hymns to the uh, you know the seven eleven songs where you, you sing seven words eleven times. You know, some of the the choruses. Some of them are really great, but just all the different styles. Haitians are really enthusiastic when they worship. My goodness. You know what's interesting? You know, we think as an American culture that we have things figured out better than a lot of places. In Haiti, there's a standardized hymn book. Can you believe that? All denominations, there is a standardized hymn book. And depending on what denomination you are, you'll use a different section. <laughs> and if you like to sing in Creole or you like to sing in French, you'll open a different section. I thought that was so neat. That's so ridiculously organized. But that's how they do it. Now, they've got churches, too, that also you know, are more technologically savvy and have PowerPoint and all that, but there are not a lot of those. But for the most part, they'll sing out of hymns. But, you know, the whole purpose of worship is not to sing what songs you like. It's to make sure that you sing songs to the Father, worshiping Jesus in the way that He should be sung to. And it's in those moments of real worship where occasionally we're able to just kind of block everything out and focus solely on Him. It reminds me of a movie that I really like. I don't know, it might be 15, 20 years old. It's called For Love of the Game. Kevin Costner is in that movie. And there's this scene. He's an aging pitcher. He's just kind of trying to make a... I think he's either making a comeback or still trying to hold on. But, you know, he, he's, he's in the twilight of his pitching career. But he's got this thing that he'll do. And movies, you know, the way that they can make a moment magical. Uh, that, that he, before he throws a ball... He kind of zones everything out and he says this thing to himself. He says, clear the mechanism. And all the, the crowd goes silent and all he can see, all he can hear is what's going on at the plate. And before he throws his pitch, he's completely focused on that. And I just kind of think about that as an illustration for the way that we should be viewing our relationship with Christ. In a moment of worship, there are times when we need to be able to zone everything out and focus solely on Jesus Christ. And clear our minds and be ready to receive whatever it is from him. Sometimes that's the only time you can really listen and hear what he's trying to say to you. 
And we should always be seeking those moments. So we sanctify his role in our lives. Peter also talks about fearing the Lord there. Fearing the Lord. It seems like a strange contrast of, of commands. We're supposed to see God as our Father, but at the same time fear Him. You know, as a little kid, and maybe even now, there's a couple funny commercials on TV where people are singing the wrong lyrics to songs and just kind of the funny situations those are in. This is especially bad as a kid. I remember growing up in Sunday school at junior church, and you'd sing these songs that you barely understood the words, and maybe you thought it was something completely different than what really the words meant. But I remember singing that, Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Okay, you know the first line there. The second line, for the Father up above is looking down. And I could never quite understand what the last couple words were. So for me as a little kid, I'm thinking, oh, be careful little eyes, what, for the Father up above is looking down. And I'm thinking just this ominous presence looking down at me, waiting for me to mess up and just ready to stomp on me if I did. And it wasn't until, you know, I don't remember this being like something that just ruined my life, but I remember thinking, it was an odd song. And then later, understanding what the lyrics ended as. And he's looking down in love. Okay, that's a completely different perspective. If he's up above looking down in love, you know, then we need to be careful what we're doing or seeing or thinking because of that love. Fearing the Lord's not a bad thing. You know, it's spoken about all throughout the Old Testament. Isaiah 8 says, Isaiah eight thirteen says, The Lord of hosts, him shall you hallow, let him be your fear, and let him be your dread, and he will be your sanctuary. If your fear is in God, then there's really nothing else left out there to fear. And it is good, it is healthy, it is respectful to have a fear for God, because he could eliminate this whole band of creation in an instant if he chose to. But he promises us he won't. He makes promises to us that because he is the one who is almighty and fearful, that we know no one else can undo or, uh, or uh, nullify his promises. So if you fear the right person, then you don't have anyone else that you have to fear. You know, going back to Peter there, he talks throughout his, his letter about being ready to give a defense any time that your faith is challenged, or just being ready to give instruction to anybody that's interested in knowing what you're about. Why is it that it's easier sometimes to talk to strangers about our faith than it is to talk to our neighbors? I'm guilty of this too. It's a lot easier for me to talk in Haiti to a Haitian about who Jesus is than it would be for me to talk to the person who lives next to me. And quite frankly, I'm guilty of being somebody that, you know, I don't even really know one neighbor that I have. The, the neighbor to my left, I know them very well, as we talk to them all the time. They have a little girl that's the same age as my daughter. Neighbor to my right, they're a little bit quieter. They don't come out as much. I barely know who they are, even, you know, though we've tried to get to know them. Why is it harder to talk to those people about Jesus than it is people that we barely know? I don't know, but it shouldn't be. And the reason it shouldn't be is because, quite frankly, an evangelistic moment is really just an opportunity to, for you to tell your story to somebody. Your story. You're the only one that can tell it. You're the only one that really understands it. And quite frankly, it's valuable. It means a lot. And honestly, the more shady the story is in some places, the more interesting it tends to become. If you've got a history of 
before Christ, boy, I was really a scoundrel, or man, I was something. And then Jesus came into my life, and he changed things, and now look at what I am today. That's a very impactful story. You have an incredible testimony if you have that kind of a past, um, because of what Jesus can do through you. There's a guy, one of the things that we do as a ministry is, uh, if you've ever heard of Kids Against Hunger, it's an organization that does food packing events, and the food goes into places like Haiti, and you can become a satellite. And so we are a satellite of, of Kids Against Hunger. It's just a small part of our ministry that we do. But I get an opportunity to meet other satellite directors. And one guy I met is uh, in a chapter in Louisville, Kentucky. And uh, he is a former uh, uh, convict, you know, or however you say that. He used to be a prison inmate. And that changed his life. He came to know somebody who led him to Christ in prison. He came out of prison, and now he has a real passion for those who are in the or on the inside. Well, he decided to open up this chapter of Kids Against Hunger, and his goal is to actually have prisoners pack this food as an opportunity for them to get to know uh, maybe a real giving moment where they can do something for somebody else, but also maybe an opportunity for them to come to know who Christ is. So this is a guy who's taking a bit of a shady or sketchy past and turning it into an awesome opportunity. So don't be afraid of whatever your past is because God can do amazing things to work even through that to reach other people. If you think about Peter and Paul, you know, the two most well-known Christian leaders in our history. You've got Paul, you know, he persecuted Christians and then later becomes pretty much the greatest missionary of all time. You've got Peter, who's the leader of the church after Jesus left. The guy denied even knowing Jesus in the most critical moment of, of Jesus's ministry. And yet God can use them to do amazing things and he can use all of us. So it's just quite simply your story of what Jesus has done and is doing in your life that you want to tell with great enthusiasm. Make sure that you're, you're thinking about, you know, how has God affected me and how can that be used as an opportunity to bring someone else to a desire to have him affect them. And that's really all it's about. It shouldn't be anything that's scary. shouldn't be anything that's intimidating. It's just sharing with somebody who you are and what Jesus has made you into. Um, and really just telling it with respect. Helping somebody understand who you are means uh, being respectful and understanding of who they are and, uh, and helping them to see that you know, this is something that they want to be a part of and something they need in their lives. There are, there are times when you need to be subtle with the way that you reach out to people and then there are times that you need to be quite bold. In Haiti, the bold approach usually works better because Haitians are very verbal, um, they're very outspoken about all sorts of things and, and quite honestly, uh, the loudest voice often wins. And uh, so in a Haitian culture, the subtlety method doesn't necessarily always work. But in America, often it, it does and sometimes that's the only chance you're gonna have to, to reach out to somebody. And then the last thing that Peter talks about there in chapter 3, he's talking about making sure that, um, he says here, uh, the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience, so that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good contact in in, uh, as a Christian may be, def may be ashamed. Um, with a good conscience. Making sure that we have, I guess, no hidden skeletons in our closet. You know, having a bit of a sketchy past before Christ 
can be used as an opportunity to reach somebody that is in a bad place themselves. But having skeletons in your closet when you're in Christ, that just simply hurts your credibility. And that's something that we all need to work with. We all need to make sure that we're exposing to the Lord so that He can help us deal with those things. But we don't want to be caught up in things that uh, detract from the image and the message of Christ by stuff that we just can't get over in our own lives. Diseases like cholera, diseases like hepatitis, you know, quite frankly, it's easy to not even get them by just keeping your hands clean, keeping food well washed, and making sure that you're taking appropriate measures not to contract those diseases. And often in our lives, the most effective way to to keep a clean life is to just make sure we're not letting bad things in. And sometimes that means monitoring uh, all of the stuff that comes into our mind's eye and uh, just not allowing ourselves to be influenced by things that we know we shouldn't be. So it's important for us to keep our our minds clean and our consciences clear. And, you know, really, uh, you know, for those of us who are involved in ministry as a profession or if you're engaged in ministry as something that, you know, here in the church that you're actively uh, involved in, there are always opportunities, uh, you know, to, I guess, to gossip. (laughs) And that's another thing that can really injure your reputation or injure your witness and we've dealt with that even on the mission field sometimes you get people in close quarters with one another and uh, the the chattering can go back and forth and and gossip can really uh, can really cause problems with those sorts of things so we need to make sure that when we're in the body of believers and we're reaching out to the world around us that we've got our in-house stuff taken care of so that there isn't anything that someone from the outside can come in and point at And you know those challenges will come. Sometimes the challenges come from without. Sometimes they come from within. You know, Potiphar's wife uh, put put Joseph in quite a quandary. You know, he was being challenged to engage in a a relationship that he shouldn't be part of. And then even when he turned that down, uh, Potiphar's wife came after him and, uh, you know, accused him of something he didn't do. So sometimes in life, sometimes in your ministry, you're going to have opportunities to do things you shouldn't, and even though you turn them down, you still get accused of doing the wrong thing. But then sometimes the challenges come from within, uh, that we've got folks that, for whatever reason, they, they just attack us, even from within the body, because they don't understand what we're doing. And, you know, those can be very painful times as well. I'm reminded of a story. Um, I used to preach at a church in Haiti and did that for about a year, you know, was the, was the, the lead pastor at the church, just kind of in a time of transition for that. I don't know what your board meetings are like here, or if you have congregational meetings, but in churches that I grew up in, they're usually kind of quiet, non-confrontational times, and uh, sometimes you'll have a heated conversation now and then, but it's usually not that common. In a Haitian church congregational meeting, you're going to have everybody come, and you're going to have a lot of interesting conversations, Um, and then sometimes you'll have some pretty combative situations. I I remember uh, one lady one time stood up and was talking about a person in the church that you know, we needed to do something with, we need to discipline this person because he was wandering around drunk all the time. And and finally, you know, there's all this chatter in the room. And finally, one of the other leaders, because my creel wasn't very good then. Uh, it's not great now, but it certainly wasn't that good then. One of the other leaders, uh, one of the elders finally told her, if you have a charge to bring against somebody, you need to do that in an official way, not just here like this. And she says, well, he's right there. 
I mean, he's, if you all make a charge, he's right behind me. And the guy stood up, and they're just jawing back and forth. And it's like, okay, this is not the way that we want to handle this. And just an extreme situation of sometimes within the family, we really attack each other. And, and not handling things in the right way can de- derail our reputation with outsiders. And that little church at one time uh, was known as the church that had a lot of internal squabbles <laughs> because of things like that. And it really ruined their reputation with outsiders. So we got to make sure that as believers that we're keeping our lives clean as individuals and that we're keeping our in-house stuff as a congregation uh, tidy as well. But Jesus calls us to be ready in all situations to reach out to those around us. And he expects us to be looking to him every day for those opportunities because they're always there. And I just, I challenge you today to be looking around you and ask yourself, okay, what has God put in front of me right now that I need to be doing something about? Maybe it's a local ministry. Maybe it's just getting more involved in this church. Maybe it's serving in a place like Haiti. Maybe you're really being uh, called and convicted right now and feeling like God might be telling you, I want you to take a trip to this crazy place (laughs) and I want to let it change your life so that you can change others. I challenge you and encourage you, you should do that. You know, if God is is leading you in that direction, he's already making all all of the details fall into place. If it's money, if it's time, if it's family, if he's really leading you to do this, he's taking care of all of those things and he'll make all of those things become exactly what they need to be. So I encourage you, I challenge you today to think, what is it that I could be doing even more than I already am? Are there people around me that I should be reaching out to? Are there places that I should be going? Are there just things that I should be praying about that maybe I'm not already? We have an invitation time. If there's anything going on in your lives that that you need prayer with or or just people to pray about, this is an opportunity for you to come forward uh, either now or after the service and and talk to one of the leaders here. I'd be happy to talk to you myself too. Um, But this is an invitation that if if this is a pivotal moment in your life and there's a decision needing to be made, uh, this is an opportunity to do that. And I just, I encourage you, if there's there's anything that, that you're needing to talk to anyone about, you know, that's part of why, we, you know, you meet every Sunday is to uh, to be a group that supports one another and to be available for uh, for any of those things when you need them. So I encourage you to do that. And uh, let's, let's, let's say a prayer here to, to close up and uh, just ask God to work on anyone that maybe he's trying to speak to right now. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we thank you so much for today. Lord, I just ask your blessing upon this congregation. Um, I ask you, Lord, to uh, to speak to anyone that, that you've been trying to reach even more loudly today, maybe, than what you have been. I just ask, Father, that you know each person here that may be thinking about the next step that they need to take for you, uh, maybe there's somebody in their lives that they need to reach out to, Lord, maybe you're challenging somebody here to take a trip to Haiti, to come see what the work is all about. Lord, I pray that they follow through with that. I pray, Father, that this church can continue to be a strong partner with our ministry, the work that you're doing in Haiti. And, Father, and maybe even uh, inspired to do more, uh, to become even more involved. I, I just thank you, Lord, for the ministry that you're doing all over the world. And we need to have a global focus to understand that, you know, it's, it's all about 
what Jesus is doing all throughout uh, the globe and, and even all throughout time. And I just thank you so much that you allow us to be a small part of that. And I pray, Father, that your kingdom advances today farther than it was yesterday. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.